Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. If you're looking for jewelry that makes an impact on your self-care routine and your style, Empowerography would love to offer you a discount code to one of our exclusive partners, Quartz and Canary Jewelry and Wellness Company. Please use code EMPOWER15 to receive 15% off upon checkout at www.quartzandcanary.com. Quartz and Canary is truly the place where spirituality meets style. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Kriya Lenzian. She is an adolescent therapist and an addiction specialist, and last but certainly not least, a mother. How are you doing today, Kriya? I'm doing great. I'm Thank doing you. Great. How are you? I'm doing okay. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. I know that you and I have had a bit of a struggle to get this episode <laughs> interview uh, recorded, but we're finally here and doing it today. So I appreciate you and I'm very happy to have you here on the show. Finally, it'd be a pleasure and I'm looking forward to jumping in and learning more about what you do and who you are. Awesome. I'm excited to be here. I'm honored. So let's jump right in, Kriya. You have yeah. a lot of certification in the mental health counseling world. You're a certified Thank prevention you. specialist. As I mentioned, you're, you're an addiction specialist. How long have you been working in the world of counseling? So, you know, getting paid for it since 2003. So is that 18 years? Well, a little before that, actually, a little before that. But, you know, I would say even in, in college, I was informally, you know, I did, I did peer counseling. I started doing trainings. I kind of, you know, like I was really already feeling pulled to the work. And so I started mm-hmm. doing some things, you know, even as an older teenager and a young adult officially went to school, you know, I got the, got the degrees and got the letters and I, you know, I give it about 20 years when I, when I quoted, I say I've been doing, doing this work around 20 years. Wow. Now you do a lot mm-hmm. of work with teens and young adults around issues ranging from mental health to drug and alcohol addiction to teen pregnancy. Have you always worked with this particular age group and age range? Mostly. I I did a couple stints with adults struggling with addiction and recovering from addiction in a residential and outpatient treatment program for about a year and a half. But the rest of those years have all been, have all been teenager, kind of tweens and teens. So fifth graders through college age. Has that always been something that age group that's been your target? Like you've always wanted to work with the young, young age people, the teens and tweens. Yeah. I never wanted anything to do with tweens actually. Okay. I didn't mean to do that. Right. It just (laughs) kind of organically happened. I knew. Yeah. I mean, I knew, I knew I wanted to work with teenagers for a long time. I mean, for a long time. And I know that some of my, you know, my story will, will unpack that a little bit as we go. Yeah. That makes sense. But the queen piece, you know, I, when I went through grad school, when I was in grad school for um, mental health counseling, like kind of mental health and school counseling together. Right. And I had a conversation with my high school counselor. Okay. And he said, you just wait until you, you know, we were talking, I said, I want to be with high schoolers and, you know, kind of ones that are like troubled teens. And yeah. he said, just he's like, I bet you end up with in middle school. Like, wait till you do middle schoolers, you'll never leave. And I was like, absolutely not. There's probably an explicit, you know, a curse in there. I was like, no way, like ever. And then, you know, lo and behold, I ended up being a middle school counselor for 13 years. <laughs> Funny how things work, isn't it? 
Yeah. And I, I put, you know, and I was like, well, I get those, those eighth graders, like I can relate to them and they're cool. But then what happens is like the fifth and sixth graders, yeah. they're like, a, it's like having a fan club all the time. <laughs> like it's really ego stroking. Like they still, they think everything you do is hilarious, you know, yeah. just like running up and hugging and sticking <laughs> to you and like, can't get enough of you. And it's, it was really hard to walk away from. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. Now I've read that you have a reputation as the teen whisperer. How did this honor yeah. or reputation get bestowed upon you and who gave it to you and why? So I had parents, you know, at least one parent that started that used that phrase because, you know, I, I feel like one of my superpowers is, is really understanding how teens think, feel, process, you know, one of those being, I feel like my own inner teenager isn't that far away. Like, right. I, you know, a lot of us sort of forget what that was like. I feel like I, I remember better than most what that was like, but also just after working with so many of them, you know, my ability to, again, have that inner teen so close, I've been, I, I'm able to connect with them. And then, you know, I've gotten so much great input you know, from them about what they want from adults, you yeah. know, what they don't get from us and how often they don't actually feel known by or respected by the grownups in their world, you know, even their parents. And that's, that can be hard to hear because like we, you know, we put the roof over their heads, we show up to all their like Absolutely. clarinet concerts or whatever, yeah. like yeah. the awful, you know, things that we put ourselves through the kids television shows that we watched for hours. Yes. Right <laughs> and so yeah, how how could they not feel loved and known and cared about and respected? But you know what I've come to realize is that you know that they don't, and they're perceiving things through through adolescent brains, and so that there's really like ways that we can communicate that can really leave them feeling invalidated and shut down, you know, mm -hmm. and like they're not known and believed in and respected versus right. other things that really let them know that we are considering them as valid human beings, you know, that, yeah. that we are actually respecting who they are becoming instead of trying to make them who we want them to be. And that's really what they feel we're trying to do a lot of the time is tell them who to be and how to think and how to feel, you know, to get our approval, you know, yeah. to, to be a quote unquote good person instead of really seeing them for and celebrating like who they are constantly becoming that we're, yeah. we're not always great at doing that. So, I mean, I have some, I think ways of just connecting with, because I respect them, Yeah, <laughs> you know, and helping parents learn, learn how to communicate and respond and validate and, you know, with their kids. When it comes down to it, I mean, really we all, all of us, even as adults, we just want to be listened to. We want to be heard. Mm -hmm. And that's a big part of it. I'm sure is the yeah. active listening part of it. Yeah, we feel like we want to feel understood. Yeah. You know, we want to just know that our thoughts and feelings and, you know, are valid. Yeah. You know, we want to be yeah. validated. So, so that's sure. huge. So there's like, there's an art to listening, validating, apologizing, you know, owning our own hypocrisies, like all of those things that teenagers in particular really are sensitive to mm -hmm. and looking for in order to respect us. Yeah, definitely. Also, do you find it hard not to bring your homework with you? And how do you deal with that so that? You do your best not to do just that. <laughs> yeah, this is, I mean, this is hard for me. I feel like I don't always have this down awesomely. I mean, that yeah. would be my, my weakness in my, you know, professionally is that there's times that I do it better than other times. I'll just say right. that. And, and it's been something that has taken 
it has been so had to be so intentional had to be so yeah. intentional about it because unfortunately you know so i just i just spoke last night at a there was a college you know across the state had me drop in as a guest speaker at their their psychology club meeting okay. you know, kind of talking about careers and psychology and that was one of the, the question one of the questions they asked me was like how do you keep boundaries how do you self-care Mm-hmm. You know, and we were talking about how the sad part is that my master's program, we might have had some conversation here and there about it woven into things, but there should be a class. Right. It should be a, a given on self-care, you yeah. know, for anybody in the kind of therapeutic counseling field, because especially when it's kids, I'll say that when it's kids, it's extra hard. When I'm, you know, working with adults, I knew even if they were struggling, you know, that they had a car, they had a bank account, you know, they had some, they had resources. And and when it's a kid, you know, when you're working with kids and you're like, gosh, they have so like, especially if they're in environments that are tough, it can be hard to go home and not be thinking about worrying about, you know, wanting to scoop them all up. For sure. So that's a long way of saying, you know, so, so the things that I have learned that work you know, that work for me is, you know, one of them is really having a, an evening and a morning routine. Like I really have to bookend just my, my daily life in a way where I, I meditate, I get centered. I set an intention for the day, you know, and it really just helps ground me no matter what I come across and keep better boundaries throughout the day, you know, and then kind of checking in with myself at night and also like taking the screens off, doing the bubble bath, you know, reading instead of being on a screen taking some time to kind of reflect on the day and how well I adhered to that intention, (laughs) you know, and also meditating for another minute and sort of exhaling it out. But the, you know, I have this trick. I'll share this trick with you. Sure. So when I leave, and and this was taught to me by who I consider my main mentor in the counseling field, who is my my teacher, Catherine Norsworthy. I'm going to shout her out by name because she's she's that awesome of a human. And so (laughs) she was one of my teachers in my master's program. And she talked about having this holding bowl it's probably one of the most valuable things I've ever learned in my whole counseling program yeah. was to have this like holding bowl. And Ima- imagine that I have that like in my gut, you know? Yeah. So when it, when somebody is sharing, you know, they're sharing this tough stuff with me and keep in mind, you know, I'm working with cutting and sexual abuse and I mean, yeah. really tough stuff. Right. And as a person who's an empath and I got into this field cause I am <laughs> sensitive and touchy feely. Right. Yes. And empathetic. So I have my holding bowl, you know, whatever they're, I'm holding their stuff. I'm really present with them. It's right there. It's close to my heart. It's close to my gut, but it's not soaking in. And I can be there and be present with them. And then when I leave the office, I literally, because visuals help for me, I literally imagine that I am pouring my holding bowl out as I like lock the door behind me and I exhale as I do it and take in another breath of like, because I, I work in like super nature, beautiful spot looking yeah. out the mountains, you know, so I take that in as I dump out my holding bowl, you know, and then put some music on as I, I make sure that I don't just have silence. Cause then I'll keep dwelling even on the way home. Yeah. You know, and, you know, put some music on and shift gears for myself. So that holding bowl sounds great. That's a great idea. Yeah. I mean, it works for me. It might sound, you know, kooky woo woo to somebody else, but it really, no, it really I mean, if, if it helps you leave that stuff where it needs to be so you can get back to you and not let all of that seep into your everyday life. And Hey, you got to do what works. And if that works, that's great. Thank you for sharing that. Maybe some other people out there can use that for whatever they are dealing with or going through, whether it be work or personal or whatever it might be. Right. So you say that this work has chosen you as opposed to you choosing this field of work to give into. Why do you feel that way? Yeah. Because my life, path just took me to it. 
Plain and simple, just took me there. <laughs> yeah, it just took me there. I mean, it's shall I unpack? You want to hear? Yeah, of course. Means? Yep. Yeah. So, how to shorten the story is always tricky. <laughs> I'll kind of start. It's not at the end, but I'll start at you know, okay, the drama point. You know, the drama <laughs> point, and we can unpeel it from there. But so, at nineteen, mm. I ended up in rehab with multiple addictions. Okay. So I was struggling with an eating disorder. I was struggling with full-blown alcoholism even as a teenager mm-hmm. and self-harm. And then all of the, these other sort of like just addictive acting out, you know, I, I hate that phrase, but yeah. um, all these addictive ways that I was sort of seeking to feel better about myself and to feel accepted by other people, you know, so that did involve, you know, I'll be honest about it. I mean, that involved as a young woman in a college setting, you know, what other people would call promiscuous. Yeah, And that's not what I was aiming for on the inside. You know, I just wanted to be loved and feel good. Yeah, of course. (laughs) You know, those things. But it was all wrapped up together in this big mess. And so I ended up in rehab at 19. So my journey really, and that really started, and I could say that started young. I mean, obviously, like my, the steps into that are really clear. You know, for me, as I was an an anxious kid, you know, I had some kind of experiences in, in my childhood where I was really different. You know, I lived on the road. It's like nomadic. And you know, I had this really interesting childhood, which was wonderful and had some tough parts to it that just led to me being pretty high anxiety and okay. also really like hungry for the world to tell me, for people to tell me that, that I was okay and that I was lovable and to be accepted and to experience belonging, you know, and didn't have a whole lot of coping tools for my sensitivity. I was a really sensitive kid in yeah. a beautiful way, you know, as I look yeah. back, I've embraced that about me. But it was hard to have this raw nerve, you know, kind of to the world is what that felt like as a kid and a teenager, you know, and as the exposures amped up, right, as I'm exposed to drugs, I'm exposed to alcohol and I was exposed really young to alcohol and wasn't supervised particularly well, you know, for different reasons. You know, my parents were really busy in different directions. And so, yeah, so so my path sort of took me through addiction and self-destruction myself. And so it was a very natural, like I said, you know, I was informally counseling in college yeah. and that, that when I, I kind of, I came out as in being in recovery, which is a very uncommon story, yeah, no you know, kidding. I'm a full-blown sorority girl in the middle of this Greek party scene, you know, at, at one of the top party schools in the country, Yeah, <laughs> you know, says Playboy magazine. And at 19, I got sober and, you know, in that scene. And so I, the, the way that I stayed like I took care of myself was to out myself, like to, to, I, you know, thought this, this positive peer pressure and this kind of accountability of the culture of the school by, by very publicly and talking to all the freshmen, you know, I started doing that for the next few years and doing trainings with the staff on how to spot a kid, you know, having trouble. They would send me other students that were struggling, yeah. you know, with substance use, particularly girls that had like sexually violating experiences or behavior that was part of that. And so okay. that was part of my story. Yeah. And so they started kind of giving me these like peer counseling, you know, opportunities to do that. And then I started running the like drug and alcohol programming on campus. And then they hired me to do that, you know, while I was a student, you know, to put together some programming for them. So it was just this really natural, like it didn't feel like work. Yeah, (laughs) just a natural progression. Yeah, I'm just, I'm sharing my story. I'm actually keeping myself healthy, Mm -hmm. you know, by doing this workout in the world and sharing it with other people and paying it forward. And then it was just a matter of like, okay, so where do I go (laughs) to like learn this officially, you know, and get the degrees, you know, from this and the letters after my name that go with this, you know, so I can get paid, paid influence I can do. Yeah. 
So yeah. it was just a, a very natural progression in. Holy shit. What a story. <laughs> wow. So yeah. what inspires yeah. or lights you up the most about the work that you mm. do? Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's when I know I'm making an impact in a, in yeah. a positive way when I know. And so whether that is, you know, I ran into somebody at the gas station the other day that was actually one of the adults that I had in a treat my, when I was working in treatment 10 years ago, yeah, or, well, 14 years ago now. And he just remembered me. He was like, yeah, I'm doing well. Like I'm remarried. And then I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> right? Like, you know, for this person that I, that I had interacted with for three months that was killing themselves you know, the way that they were doing drugs, you know, and now they've got this thriving life. So when I get messages and this happens to me randomly, you know, on social media or like this last night, the reason I was at the psychology club meeting, you know, for, for Chapel Hill or whatever was because I had as one of my middle school students who I supported really strongly when we were there and who, after the fact for the last several years, her class has had two fatal overdoses of drugs. And this is a little cute little charter school. And that's a whole other, you know, topic at 19 and 20, she had two friends have fatal drug overdoses. And I supported, and I supported her and her classmates through, you know, some of that stuff post way long after eighth, eighth grade graduation. So having her be in front of this group of people saying, this woman got me through the toughest parts of middle school and since, you know, and now I want to go, I'm going into the field of counseling because of this woman, you know, who was my, I was just like, I was like, you know, you can't see mind, my mind blown and podcast, see mind blowing. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but I constantly get messages like that. I run into a hostess somewhere and she's like, oh, you taught me drug ed when I was in high school. And it actually <laughs> helped steer me through these like really tough things. Cause I teach drug ed at like nine schools around my, yeah. my community. That's got to um, so feel get, incredible though. Oh my gosh. And parents, you know, and parents who say you really steered us through a tough time or you helped prevent, like we got your information, you know, from these workshops. Yeah. And it helped us navigate high school and all of this really tricky, complicated stuff while staying really connected. And my kids stayed like healthy and we all stayed sane, you know, for the most wow. part, you know, close together. And then it's, it's, there's just nothing that, that just feels amazing. If I get one of those a year, it's amazing, but I get one like every week. Yeah. That's, so that's phenomenal. That's yeah. So just incredible. knowing that I, what I do ripple, you know, that it ripples. Yeah. Yeah. Knowing, I mean, finding your passion and your purpose and your mission in life is incredible. But Mm -hmm. when your purpose and your mission in life has impact on others, that's honestly, it's like winning the lottery twice, because first of all, you found your purpose and your mission. Second of all, what you're doing, the work you're doing, the work you love doing is impacting and giving back to the community. There's no better feeling than that in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the the cool thing is, you know, that I've been able to work like right now, I work in a treatment center for teen girls, like a long-term residential treatment center for girls who like, it's been the last, their parents have tried all the other things. And this is sort of the intensive intervention. And I only have seven, I have seven kids that are mine, but these are kids that if they kept going at the path that they were going at, like they probably would die. Some of them already tried, you know? And so, so I'm at that end of like saving these kids lives you know, and, and putting these families back together. And then there's this kind of other whole area of work I do where I just do these workshops on here's how to addiction proof your kid starting in kindergarten, you know, like here's how to do that, get these things ready and get them ready for adolescence and steer them through and stay connected and teen whisper, you know, communicate with them. And, you know, so I get to work on all, you know, working on all sides of it, 
I have a parent coaching practice where parents call me up and say, oh, we just busted our kid vaping. What do we do? You know, so that we get through this healthily stronger instead of being the beginning of a spiral. So I, I get to do all three levels of that work, you know, regularly, which is really cool. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Pretty awesome. So when you were going through your own personal struggles, who did you have to turn to when dealing with all of that? Well, I mean, I I wish I could say like my personal struggles ended at 19. You know, that'd be awesome. Life story. It's been happy ending since. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I've started talking more openly lately about kind of the the very nonlinear recovery process or change process or healing process, right? So especially with addictiveness and with mental health, It's like, it can be a little bit of a -a whack-a-mole, you know, with other things surfacing, like you heal this thing and then it kind of pops up in some other ways. And and meanwhile, constantly working on all the things underneath, right? That are are sort of underneath all of it. Right. So it's a long way of saying like, there've been really different people at different stages, right? So in in my teen years, I mean, so when it it was the big, you know, that big, like, if I keep going, I'm probably going to, going to kill myself. I'm probably going to die with the, with the risks that I was taking. You know, I had an ulcer. I was just doing crazy stuff. I know at 18, I burned a hole in my stomach. And it was just doing crazy risky things, just driving off with strangers at three in the morning. And, you know, it's like, yeah, shouldn't have have lived necessarily. So I had this group of friends and I'm going to try to not (laughs) start to cry because I'm currently going through some personal healing with a, you know, an engagement that dissolved. And it's a really been, been a tough few months for me. And I have the same group of friends that we have a stream of communication every day that were there yeah. for me when I was young, that I, was there when I was, I was 19 years old. So this group of friends that, I mean, there were some people that sifted themselves out that I thought were friends, but, but I really had this group of people that were amazing, beautiful. I mean, they didn't know, no one teaches kids in particular necessarily. How do you support a friend who's struggling with mental illness? How do you support a friend who is, has an eating disorder, who's, who is drinking themselves? to death and you're worried about them. Yeah. Right? We don't have those conversations enough, you know, in schools. That's kind of exactly. where it needs to happen or parents, right? Yep. So they just loved on me, you know, as soon as I said, Hey, I need to get some help, which, you know, they tried to tell me anyway, and I wasn't really listening, even though I had like hurt all of them in all these ways, they just wrapped around me. I got like love notes and encouragement notes on my desk and flowers every month I was sober and they were going to AA meetings with me and going to my family night at rehab with That's me, incredible. my outpatient rehab, because I did an outpatient program, which also wasn't right. suggested because I was in this drinking, you know, scene culture right. of college, but they were held my hand and were by my side through this whole thing. And again, ha- continue to. And then there were a couple, you know, I, there, it was definitely counselors. I have to, I have to sort of lift that up. Cause it yeah. was part of my inspiration was that in high school, there was a woman who was kind of the, she was a health educator, drug and alcohol educator at my high school. Mm-hmm. And she was my person that I rooted in and my guidance counselor there yeah. who dragged me out of my room when I was depressed and hadn't left my room for two months. I was at a boarding school and said, we're applying to colleges for you. And they're all going to wow. be somewhere sunny. Because <laughs> I lived in Vermont. I went to school in Massachusetts. It was like gray for five months. He's like, I don't care if you get into Brown and Yale, you're not going there. You're going here to the school in Florida. Have a good time. Go brush your teeth. 
please. <laughs> yeah. And, and again, it was in college is that I, it was a counselor that was there. It was the, the college counselor who was a support person from the day I got there. I was already connected uh-huh. to kind of start seeing him and he stayed an incredible support person by my side. And then I ended up working with him. That's the crazy thing. I went back as a grown up, worked at the same college doing drug and alcohol programming and worked with him. Funny how <laughs> things work, years. isn't it? It is just crazy, I know. So yeah. how have these experiences helped shape the Korea you are today, do you think? I don't know who I'd be without them. When I talk to kids, that can be it can be tricky because I, you know, I will have kids that will say like, well, you know, it can't be that bad. <laughs> <laughs> to, you know, to go through all these things, to try all these drugs, to do, you know, even addiction, because like, look, it made you really cool. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, that's how I chose to use it. Right. You know, that is how we you know what I, what I chose to do that. I'm like, but understand, like I did things that could absolutely have killed me. You know, yeah. I did things that have thrown off. I've got some brain imbalances. I have some cognitive stuff that my doctor has been very clear in saying this is because of how you, because we now know that research yeah. shows us that binge drinking yeah. when your brain is all malleable during adolescence, even college years, yeah. actually does some damage that can be long-term. Which so, these kids so don't see and understand. Have no idea, right? Yeah. Because we didn't know that, you know, yeah. so we don't teach it to them either. So the stuff that we, you know, around our age that we like normalize is like, oh, I don't remember those phone numbers. I can't remember yeah. these names or, you know, some of that stuff. They're like, some of that cognitive decline might be from some of these things that we did as teenagers. And now yeah. it sort of catches up. So I have adult ADD from diagnosed. I didn't have kid ADD, but I have all of that symptomology. And it's, and, and I've been told that's because of how you drank in so intensely between 16 and 19, you know, and I started drinking when I could, you know, younger than that. So, so kids, it really wasn't that, it's really not that cool. <laughs> it's not that cool, right. So just saying that if, I mean, it, it made me who I am. Yeah. I mean, there's pieces of that story. Would I love to give up the trauma, the sexual assault that came with yeah. that? The stuff that, you know, the situations like, yes, I don't, I would love to not have to have those pieces of my story. Right, absolutely. You know, and, and that's what I also have to make sure I say to kids. But, but you know, I celebrate the whole journey. Mm-hmm. because it brought me like, I mean, you heard me like my hair, my own hairs were standing up when I talk yeah. about what I do. Yeah, <laughs> when exactly. I talk about it, it brought the, you full circle to who you are today. The, the fulfillment I get from what yeah. I do. Like, I can't imagine if I, like, if I had had this really easy life, you know, mm-hmm. and went into, I don't know, floral design. No, not because people do amazing things with floral design or yeah. thinking, but like what <laughs> I, yeah. I, just, I can't imagine. Yeah. yeah, for sure. So how has the work helped work that you do helped you along your own parenting journey? They've been totally like symbiotic, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. they just have really fed each other. So, you know, I learned so much, my own son who is, he's 23 now. And I raised him as a hundred percent single mom. Yeah. And he has just just been my greatest teacher. You know, I mean, I think we've always had open dialogue, but I also screwed up a lot. You know, I mean, I didn't get all the things perfect. Well, we don't though. We're human beings. Sure. Right. But you know, despite me like studying all the things and knowing how to, like, I didn't necessarily, again, like I went to, got my master's degree in counseling, but there was one class on like adolescent counseling. I didn't necessarily know how to raise one, right? (laughs) you know, or how to do that really well, just because I had these counseling skills, but my clients, you know, my, the kids I was working with were teaching me these amazing things when they were talking about all that stuff I talked about earlier, right? Like how they felt invalidated, you know, by their parents' responses to things and how they spoke to them and how they didn't include them. And, 
and how hypocritical you know, yeah. we can be and how without naming it, you know, if you name it, it's different, but without yes. naming it, and, and how we would lose their respect because of it. So I watched these relationships with between kids and their parents and how they were feeling about them and being impacted by them. And I absolutely brought that back to inform my parenting, Okay, you know, and do it better and better and better. Right. And like now, if I knew what I knew now, like now that I'm out there and I'm teaching others, you know, like coaching other parents and how to raise adolescents, like that all came from my making mistakes and effing yeah. it up and, well, learn, and it. my kid being like, you're screwing this up. This is what I need from you instead. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then I would bring that to the families I was working with and to the kids, like, my son just said this, do you feel that way? And they'd be like, uh, yeah, I wanted some advice and I got this TED talk. <laughs> Instead of being, you know, or when I said, like, I have this problem at school, I got this TED talk and all I wanted was for them to listen, Yeah, you know, and to, and to honor that, like, I might have some ideas too. I just need sort of some help balancing them. I didn't need them to talk for 20 minutes about how I could <laughs> handle everything just like they did when they were 14, you know? Yeah. So, exactly. yeah. So they definitely informed and strengthened each other. Each other. It's been a great Amazing. relationship. Yeah. To date, Kriya, what would you say is one of your biggest highs or your greatest wins? That's hard. I feel like it just goes back to like, I, I, I get them constantly. I can't think of one big one. I mean, I feel like I've had so many kids say, you talked me off a ledge. Yeah. You know, like I was headed in this direction or you didn't even know how d- depressed I was. And then I was thinking about killing myself, but you just took me in your office and you know, gave me some chocolate and loved on me and listened to me. And, and that actually kept me from going there. Like I've had so many of those, I can't even count. So they all just kind of clump together. I mean, if I talk about, you know, high highs, like I, I, I love being on stage. I mean, I love doing presentations. I love speaking to to big crowds of people, you know, Mm -hmm. and I did my first national conference this summer and that was like, yes, that's it. A lot of these, right. Because yeah. I was headed to, you know, I thought I wanted to be on Broadway when I was a kid. So <laughs> a very a, different a life from Broadway. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I started as a theater major and I said, you know, whatever. Yeah. But, so there's something about just being on a, being on stage and, and not, the, not the ego stroke part of it. Not, the, you no. know, not 20, you know, my twenties is another story or whatever, but I just love feeling like what a ripple, you know, and there's yeah. like the, the, the energy, you know, that's yeah. the high part, you know, the energy when people are just attentive and they're nodding and they're like, yeah, and they're snapping and they're, you know, and you see what, whether it's parents or it's other educators, you know, I mean, yeah. increasingly I'm doing workshops for other educators yeah. on how to create school environments that mm-hmm. are kind of addiction proofing and that are preventative yeah. of self-destructive stuff. And it's like when they're engaged and I know they're soaking it up and I'm like, oh my God, they, there's 200, 300 people in this room and they're all going to take it back to their own school somewhere in the country yeah. and do something with this. That's, that's amazing. How many kids that that will impact? That's the high part for me. Amazing. What do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become so successful? I think it's part of that, that empathness or, or to build on that, like my ability to be empathetic, you know, which sort of leads into the way that I connect with people. Because I mean, what I get is feedback, whether it is in a counseling session with a kid who everyone has said, this kid hates therapy, you know, nothing is working for them. And then I form a connection with them you know, or it is a audience, you know, or it's, or it's a, and I, and I'm, and everybody's engaged, you know, and I'm walking through the aisles and I'm like actually like connecting and talking to people. Like, I feel like that superpower for me is really my ability to connect with other people and, and really like, Hey, human being from this imperfect human being, 
to you, you, yes. <laughs> you're an perfect human being and yeah. being able to be genuine and, and authentic and human in that connection, whether it's, there's 300 people there or whether there's one or it's a family or, you know, and being able to connect with each person in the family, when I have a family in the room, you know, yeah. I feel like that's really what that's okay. kind of the, the key to that for me. And people so, will say, oh, I'm charismatic and I'm funny and I'm whatever, <laughs> but what I mean, but, but that's just me. Like, it's like, I'm just kind of opening the portal to my, I don't know, my special sauce. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and letting it out, which is just letting out my, you know, my authenticity. I love it. Speaking of success, how do you define the word success? What does that word mean to you? Yeah, I was nervous you might ask me that. What do I think about that? <laughs> no, I mean, I think it just builds on some things I've said. You know, it's, it's like feeling like people are being catalyzed by my interaction with them to be their best selves. You know, also that families are being their best or or just a stronger version of themselves. And success for me is, is, again, feeling like I'm making a difference and I'm rippling. That's it. The domino yeah. effect. Yeah, that it's just, it's making a difference and people, and people are learning to love themselves and each other more and connect with each, themselves and each other more, mm-hmm. you know, and strength and, and being there, you know, kind of living up to their potential as a family, as, a, as an individual. Yeah. It just feels, I'm like, okay, I did my thing. I, you know, you I'm go. rocking it. Like that's yeah. <laughs> what advice would you give someone wanting to pursue a career similar to yours? I think that goes back to the, the self-care question. you know, is learn the self-care first, you know, learn about like work on your boundaries and how to take care of yourself first. So I mean, you know, don't wait. Yeah, that's, that's key for sure. Because I mean, if if you don't take care of yourself, how the hell are you going to help anyone else? Right. Otherwise you're an empty well. And Brad, I had to learn that the hard way. I mean, to be totally honest, like I, I ran myself because again, I didn't, wasn't, we didn't talk about it very much in my program. And just as a human being, I was raised by a workaholic parent, you know, who didn't have any of that themselves. And I just sort of took that out in the world with whatever I was doing. So as soon as I dove into counseling, my first paid job was with juvenile justice kids. And they were kids that everybody else had discarded. And I'd seen way too many like white savior lady movies come in with the kids of color. (laughs) Like that's a whole other topic, but (laughs) Um, but I was like, I'm going to save these kids. I mean, I meant, you know, I meant well, but super enthusiastic and they had such rough layers of stuff going on. And I got completely consumed with it and wanted to adopt all of them and couldn't stop thinking about them at home. And I was turning on the news and seeing my kids on the news. So you take that kind of like over-involvement in it without the self-care piece, you know, so the boundaries were, were not there. The self-care yeah. pieces were not there. I was just giving my all to this stuff because I was so passionate about it. Yeah. And I cared so much and I ended up having stress-related illness. My adrenal system, my body broke down and I ended up sick for about two years, one year really strong. I mean, I got an MRI, I got a, or the spinal tap. I got, yeah. I mean, they were giving me like sort of extreme testing because I had some very surreal symptoms of like something serious is going on. They thought I had swelling in my brain Holy or extra, extra fluid in my brain or something because I had yeah. headaches all the time. And finally, <laughs> I went to a doctor who was like, you've had your pedal on the metal yeah. for 15 years. I mean, in your, slow down with the career you're doing on top of being a hundred percent single mom. And I didn't have, the there was no yet. time for Korea. Yeah. So, so I would just coach somebody to like, learn, get that, get your routines for self-care, you know, you like yeah. your self-respect intact first, because it will totally you. I mean, a lot of these fields, you know, if you go into them, like a lot of them are nonprofit, a lot of them are underpaid and it's doing incredibly hard work 
yeah on your soul and your heart you know it's mentally physically all of it exhausting absolutely i lost five kids in two years to overdoses the last two years that i've worked tragic Yeah. But if, if I was me 15 years ago, you know, like what that would have done with, yeah. to me versus yeah. my ability to be like, wow, that can be all the things. And I can still carry on with my, my life and I For need sure. to, so I can continue to prevent it happening Yes, to others because exactly. otherwise That's I'm laying up in bed. Yeah. I'm not making a difference in this at all. So I would say like therapy, mm-hmm. therapy, therapy, like, like there should not be a counselor in the world that isn't getting their own therapy. That sounds <laughs> You know, like I'm shooting on people, but it's, there's, I don't think there's any way to do that work and hold people's stuff, no matter yeah. whether it's a conflictual marriages all day long, or it's, yeah. you know, suicidal kids all day long and not be, you know, working on your boundaries and your self-care and, and, and the stuff in yourself that that all that, that work can bring up. For sure. That's another you know part of that. What would you say is one of the best pieces of advice you've ever received? I feel like my dad, you know, and it's funny because I use this as a counselor. I remember my dad when we were little kids. And so I'm like five, six. And I remember him saying this, that no one can make you feel anything. That's, it's, it's very like true simple. though. It's true. Right, but it's, and I didn't understand what that meant yeah, at five or six, you know, yep. like, but he would say that because I'd be like, you're making me feel this. And he, you know, in his adult stuff, he would say, no one can make you feel anything. What's wild is how I, you know, pulled that back out. You know, as I'm like a, a teen in rehab, you know, learning how to manage my inner world and not be so impacted by the outer world, right? Is yeah. that I was like, oh, that thing that dad said <laughs> is super powerful. It is. You know, and now, and I use it every day in some shape or form, I feel like, you know, in terms of, you know, the, the personal boundaries that I hold with my, my job or with the people in my life. Yeah. And no one can make you feel any which way it's, it's you who's doing that to yourself right? by letting right. them get to you. Right. Right. However, I am processing whatever That's I am right. saying about the story that I am telling about yes. them, their response, whatever they're doing, whatever yeah. facial expression is, or whatever's happening around me. Like I am deciding, you know, what story I'm telling about that. That's right. <laughs> and that's why I'm, I'm feeling something. So if I want to change my feelings, I change my story, you yeah. know, I think my change your perspective, really, really sure. simple, but not easy. No, it's very hard to do very yeah. hard, but it, it does. It sounds so simple, but right. it really truly is not. Yeah. What would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before learning it? And what was your life like after learning it? So I think along the same lines, it's like, and this is again, one of the, the simplest things ever, <laughs> Not easy, which is just getting clear on what I can and can't control, you know, and that gets said like in 12 step rooms, you know, the serenity prayer, you know, yeah. grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, right? Uh-huh. Is that I can't say that prayer enough in, in some kind of form, you know, in my own funky spiritual way. Yeah. But I, again, throughout my day. So as a teenager struggling with all these addictions, you know, what I realized was all the things that I did, you know, that ended up being self-destructive. It's like they all were these maladaptive ways that I, I really was just trying to seek control. I felt really out of control. And I'd had this childhood that was totally out of control. You know, I mean, it, it made sense. I had a really controlling mother. So it makes sense that it was a, a theme for me, but that I had all these things. And even going into further adulthood, I don't think I got a real grasp until about five years ago on my own, like passive aggressive, you know, some of the things that I still did to subtly, like try to manipulate people in the world around me, 
you know, to try to get them to do what I wanted them to so that I would be comfortable. So the things would be going my way, you know, yeah. I mean, really, really subtle, just a recurring theme for me. So, so really getting, getting clear on that, like, all right, well, ultimately going back to what my dad said, right. It's like, oh, the only thing I can really control, like I cannot control how this person is thinking about me and their story and their perception. Like all I can do here is say, hey, this is my truth, you know, or this is, but but can I make them change their mind about how they see no. something or how they feel about me? No. And man, does that struggle cause like pain and angst? Oh, for sure. You know, I mean, as somebody Absolutely. again coming out of like a really brutal breakup recently, yeah. like like I had to come back to that over and over again of like, okay, I might have to just accept that this person has this version of this story, and do I think it's hella mutated? And what he thinks of me is not <laughs> not who I am, and that's not what happened, and it. And I can sit and I can ruminate about that all day and then end yeah. up, you know, on an antidepressant or an anti-anxiety, you know, like, yeah. or it's like, I, well, wow. Okay. <laughs> what lessons I can can't. I take from this and move on? Yeah. I can't, can't control another human For being. For sure. What's your personal motto? I don't know if you're familiar with Richard Bach as a writer. So he wrote a, you know, some books that were like popular in the seventies, I think. Okay. Like Jonathan Livingston Seagull and a book called Illusions that was passed down to me from my dad. So it's the, the story of a reluctant messiah. <laughs> so it's okay. an airplane mechanic that apparently it discovered that he's the next messiah. And it's really yeah. like humorous and wise. So there's a quote in there and I'm not going to, I don't think I'm going to get it perfect, but which is like every problem has a gift for you in its hands. And just being able to embrace that, you know, is empowering to me, you know, in the, in the whatever crap goes down. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we have to we have to find the silver lining in everything. There's right. there's always a lesson to be learned in What's whatever it is that happens for sure. Right. What am I being pushed to grow? How is this working for me? Yeah. You know, how is this actually for me instead of happening to me? How is it happening for me? Like, you know, that's all the same. That's mind. that whole mindset piece that you mm-hmm. got to look at things as it's happening for you and not to you. Right. Yeah, again, well, simple, <laughs> simple enough. <laughs> well, yes, simple in theory, yeah, no, easy, right. <laughs> but <laughs> right? to, to put it into practice is a whole other game. Like it's a whole right. other ball of wax, right? What Especially when you... it's really tough, when they're, I mean, when they're oh. really big, traumatic, lessons, painful. For sure. Experiences, lessons. lessons. Yeah, 100%. What would you say is one of your biggest failures or we'll call it life lessons or teachable moments? And what did you learn from it? I'm going to use my current one. I mean, just because it's ripe and it's real. I mean, there's plenty of other things I could say that would feel safer, (laughs) (laughs) but, but here's the beauty of it, right? Is that, is that in this moment, that's what I'm being handed, right? Is the, is the gift in this relationship breakup that I've, that I've mentioned a couple of times, right? So I, you know, I'm engaged, I'm in this relationship for five years. And then there's a, a very abrupt um, kind of blunt force trauma separation and some roller coaster riding for the last four years. And now he's actually married someone else last week. Wow. <laughs> so, so, but this whole ride that I've been on and meanwhile, I changed jobs. I had like, there was a lot going on. I, I didn't have a home. I mean, I lost my home along with that and stepchildren and a dog, you know, it's like, there was just so much loss. There was so much loss involved in it and trauma involved in it. And all of the feels and all the stuff that comes up with that, you know, so I, I found myself, I have not been clinically depressed since I was 17 years old, 18 years old, when I really struggled with depression. And I found myself going, Oh my God, here I am. Like, I get this feeling like I don't feel like things don't feel right. I feel like I'm dragging this like load of bricks around, you know, with me constantly, like I am clinically depressed, you know? And of course my nervous system had been like tapped out, you know, for months. Yeah. I got COVID in the middle of that. I had like three oh, fender benders. Man. Like, I mean, it was just like these, these one thing after in another particular that were just nuts. I'm reading Brene Brown's rising strong. 
yeah. right, strongly or whatever. It's like perfect timing. It just like landed in my lap. So the failure of that relationship, you know, that I really thought was going to be and, and put my heart and soul and time and, you know, all this stuff into and my dreams into, and it exploded. You know, and all of the lessons that are coming to me from that, you know, as long as I'm staying receptive to them, which, which I really, really am trying to, and I have, again, I have all these really beautiful people around me that keep me that way, yeah. you know, receptive and evolving. And, you know, like I, I just choose those people in my life now. And, you know, just getting these incredible lessons about vulnerability, about yeah. humanness, about imperfection. So even I think my, my newer chapter kind of, you know, as we're interweaving me talking about my personal world and my professional world is that, you know, one thing I'm aware that I've done is I've put myself out there as like, oh, well, again, here's my story. I got sober at 19 and then <laughs> now I help other people, <laughs> you know, like that's kind of been the story. And I get on and I, I have all this video content on Instagram and I'm on, I get a YouTube channel, you know, and so all the spaces I'm in, I kind of put myself out there as like, I've got this expertise. And sure, I say like, yeah, I learned this from screwing up with my kid. Like, I'll put that out there, right? But it, it feels comfortable there. You know, it feels yeah. safe there to be like, I'm the expert. I got all these letters after my name. <laughs> you know, I can pont <laughs> pontificate all day. And, you know, and what I am doing that's new is letting myself be pretty raw, you know, in some of the spaces that I'm speaking in lately and, and really coming off of like, because that's, that's just how I'm feeling. Yeah, you know, exactly. That's, that's where I'm at. And so being able to be like, this is a rough moment and I'm grieving and I'm clinically depressed. I didn't work it all out just because I have this great big toolbox full of tools that I've learned as a wise person and a, and a therapist, yeah. you know, I've always been sort of embarrassed to say, but I'm having a struggle because I'm supposed to have it figured, really figured out if I'm a therapist. But you're human though. So <laughs> well, I know. Yeah. But, but for some reason, so here I am at 51, yeah. this is coming back to like, the failure of this relationship has been, and I'm going to get a little teary, so I'm glad I'm not on camera, but you hear the wavering in my voice, but has, has been one of the most educational like periods of time I've had in my life. Wow. That's like letting huge. myself sit in what I realized was emptiness, you know, when uh -huh. this person wasn't in my life and these things, I didn't have the same life. Yeah. Like suddenly I didn't have this life that was very familiar and I didn't have this person that I had all of these dreams and all this stuff invested in, it was just used to being my person. Like there was this emptiness, right? And I had a Buddhist friend of mine, you know, that just was like, you sit in that shit, girl. <laughs> sit in that emptiness, you know, and, and just, just let it be there. Like, it's not going to kill you. And I'm like, oh my God, but wait, but that's what I've been doing my whole life. Mm -hmm. With all of this addictiveness, it was always like, I never wanted to feel that feeling. You know, yeah. it was always like, okay, well, let me get some food or some male attention or some, you know, the substances or the online shopping, you know, I mean, there's like, yeah. oh, so just so that I, I don't have to feel that just the pain, the discomfort and that emptiness. It's good to feel Ooh. the feels and be in it so and I've been sit in, in the it, feels. but yeah, don't so live I, there. So I have been, right. So I've been in the feels and then being able to be really, really sort of raw and honest and, you know, and genuine with, with the world around me, which includes kind of this larger audience that I've developed of saying like, Hey, other humans, <laughs> like yeah. I am effed up right now. You yeah. know, this is really hard. I don't, I don't quite know my way out of this. And this is a really tough moment. And what I've gotten in return has been freaking unexpectedly beautiful. You know, so what I'm getting back is <laughs> the opposite of what I feared in mm -hmm. being my really true, real authentic self, which was, is that the, I'm getting nothing but 
oh my God, thank you. Thank you for putting this into the world. I was a little intimidated by you before because <laughs> you seemed to have <laughs> your shit together so much. Yeah. And that seemed to be such an uncommon story. And I couldn't quite relate to you because it just, you know, and it's like, but thank you, you know, and for, for saying some of the things that we, that I've experienced now, I really want to listen to what you have to say. Now I really want to learn from you. And it's like, oh, okay. God, <laughs> it, it, that's just, this is what it took. It just took my life fucking blowing up. Sorry, but it took my life blowing no, up that's okay. for me to, you know, for me to, to finally get human at 51. Yeah, you know, but at least, real, but I mean, you've, you've learned it now. Them. So going forward, yeah. you have that added to your toolbox. Yeah. What does the word empowerment mean to you? Personally, for me, I mean, you know, well, when I'm feeling empowered, mm-hmm. I feel like I am, you know, just in my own kind of, you know, spiritual beliefs, like I am kind of tapped into my source sauce, <laughs> tapped into the source <laughs> sauce. You know, I feel like I've always had sort of a, a super sensitive portal to that. I didn't know how to keep it open. You know, it uh-huh. felt almost too overwhelming. So it's like when, when I am like tapped in and that is like this coming through me, you know, I, yeah. I automatically, I feel grounded. I feel powerful and not in that way. Like I have to feel control over everything. No, I have to have power over to feel powerful. But I mean, I just feel like, wow, I am limitless. Like I am endlessly creative. Like the amount of ways that I can impact the world are mm-hmm. limitless. <laughs> Love it. That to me feels, you know, is what I think is what, what feels empowering. Like there's no, my limitations, you know, shedding my limitations, Like there's, there just is nothing that's in my way of accessing this pure source sauce and then pouring it out, you know, into the world through the gifts that really feel like they're uniquely me. Beautiful. You know, that are mine. Okay. We're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next grouping questions okay. just be two, three, Good, four word answers. Okay. I'm prepared. <laughs> <laughs> How would you describe yourself in one word? Teachable. What was your dream job as a child? Broadway. I wanted to sing, dance, act. I wanted the trifecta. The whole thing. Money or fame? Oh, this is so hard. Because <laughs> I feel like when you have fame and you have a voice, you can be influential with your voice and make changes yeah. with your voice, right? When people are following you. But with money, like there's so many things that you can put it towards that better things. I'm going to go with fame. Fame. I'm going to go with fame, but it's not for fame. It's for the attention and the voice. You know what I mean? It's not like ego, fame. I I feel like I need to distinguish that. Yes. Yeah. Early bird or night owl? Total night owl. What's the first (laughs) thing you think when I say the word future? Everybody says sunglasses, don't they? (laughs) (laughs) Limitless. Unfurling. I'm unfurling right now. If you came with a warning label, what would yours say? (laughs) Probably parental advisory warning. (laughs) <laughs> I, I really have a hard time with my language. And especially when I work with kids, really hard for me uh-huh. to censor myself. <laughs> if you could teach the world one thing, what would it be? Put yourself in other people's damn shoes. I mean, like really put yourself in, not like you're trying on their shoes. You know what I mean? Like get in their shoes and yeah. imagine seeing yourself feeling their life, experiencing their life from their context, the messaging they're getting, the people around them. Like really put yourself in somebody's shoes. I think it would solve yeah. Everything. What's one thing you want but cannot buy with money? Oh, that sounds really cheesy. I would love Brad. <laughs> this is, this is I'm doing like a personals ad, but just because I've been talking about it, like, like, but this has been therapeutic for me lately, right? So, mm. 
is someday I would love for someone to, and this is someone that's a potential partner. I would love to have a partner in life. I discovered that in this last relationship. I really love partnering. I want to have a partner who can be by my side, like support me doing all of that unfurling and flying off. And it is not afraid of my power. Is yeah. not afraid of my, of, that is evolving with me. You know, that's going to see me somewhere promoting my book or see me on stage and be like, oh my gosh, that woman who is like complex and feels all the feels and, you know, is all the richness of her. Like, I want to be close to that person and know that person instead of being threatened by what that is. If you could change one thing about the world, what would you change? Their inability to put themselves in each other's damn shoes. <laughs> like, I mean, seriously, I, I think that, I mean, empathizing gets overused, that word, you know, but really the ability to try to understand somebody's life from their perspective. I think it would, it would solve every world problem that we yeah. have. Yeah. My favorite way to unwind is bubble bath. Mom I life. love baths. I love baths. Yeah. <laughs> Mom life is. Mom life is a, a never ending rich lesson every year. <laughs> something different the last book or podcast yeah. i listened to or read was renee brown's rising strong I think I'm okay. yeah I, I mean that's perfect timing for me right now. that concludes our rapid fire section now back to our regularly right. scheduled program <laughs> what's the most recent investment you've made in yourself can i pick two things because they come sure. out so i bought a ring to go on my ring finger. That's like a commitment to myself ring. Beautiful. You know, I, I spent the money on a, like a, a commitment to, I am in love with myself ring for yeah. my quote unquote, you know, wedding ring finger. Right. The second is that I put money down this year on like a, a business coach and it was way beyond what I thought was possible for me to pay for. But it was, it was really me making a statement of like, I am capable of this. And I am ready for this. And it was a big risk, <laughs> but I felt like I needed to make that statement to the universe. There you go. Putting it yeah. out there. Yeah. If you could set up a billboard anywhere, where would you put it? And what would it say? Where would I put only one? Well, it seems like when things go up in Times Square, <laughs> people see them. Yeah, yeah. I know a lot of people see them from all over the world. You know, people take pictures of them. It would say... Put yourself in somebody else's damn shoes. <laughs> there we go. I, mean, I yeah, see a recurring theme here. It is. I, can't, I mean, I would love to come up with something else that sounded wise or funny, but I, again, I just, I think that that's the, the core of human beings, being yeah. able to relate to each other and not have so much of what's happening right now that's dangerous and scary and hurtful. Who in your life has had the biggest impact on you and why? My son. I mean, without a, I didn't even finish the sentence. Yeah. <laughs> because parenting, God, it just, I mean, it, it has brought up my greatest strengths and my greatest weaknesses to the surface at all times. He has taught me more things than I ever even imagined I needed to learn. It's also been these, these amazing healing opportunities where it's like, oh, I'm doing this thing that my mom did that I promised I wasn't going to do. You know, we all do those things. Yeah, of course. It's, it's like giving me, it just surfaces this stuff for me. That's like, oh, okay. Like I have an opportunity to do something different here. And if I want to actually stop the generational spread of whatever the thing is, yeah. <laughs> you know, like that, yeah. passing it down yet another, like, then I'm going to work this out. And, and there's just been, there's endless, you know, opportunities to do that and yeah. better myself through, through parenting him. If you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? So I had to do this as a therapeutic exercise this week because <laughs> 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 I realized how much stuff I had attached to like that. My little girl was so misunderstood, felt so freaky and weird, you know, 
and the world didn't accept her. So I would say, yes, you are special and you are different and everyone's not going to get you, but that the world, that's why the world has been waiting for you. The world has needed you. It's been waiting for you. And that weird that you feel is exactly why you're here and why the world. Needs you. I love that. That's amazing. Kriya beautifully mm-hmm. said. Lastly, if you were to deliver your last 30 second speech to the world, what would that last 30 <laughs> seconds sound like? What would you say? Yes. <laughs> Put yourself in somebody else's shoes. Well, so here's the thing, Brad. I know it's, you know, but I, I do all this social justice work. You know, I do, I'm in all these places where I'm helping people communicate with and understand each other, right? So I'm, uh-huh. I'm doing that with families. I'm doing that yeah. in school settings. I'm doing that. And it comes down to the same thing. You know, it's like once you can try to understand why someone thinks, feels, acts the way that they do based on their perspective, their experiences, then it really changes how you not only feel about them, right? But, yeah. but how you relate to them. Right. You know, and so just take a minute, you know, seek to understand instead of be understood. Try to understand someone from their perspective and, you know, we'll all, we'll all have world peace. The world would be know? a better place. The world would be a better place. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love it. Thank you for the serenade, Kriya. <laughs> yeah. Or what was that? Or the world will live as one. There you go. Yeah. Awesome. Kriya, thank you so much for taking the time yeah. to be here today. And share a bit about your own personal story and journey. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you and you are a true inspiration, an incredible woman for what you've been through and what you are doing in terms of giving back to the world. You're giving your sharing your gifts and and giving back. Thank you for all that you are doing and you are a true inspiration. It's incredible. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was such an honor to be here. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Kriya Lenzion. She is an adolescent therapist and an addiction specialist. Last, but certainly not least, she's a mother. So thank you very much, Kriya. I hope you have an amazing rest of the day. You too. Bye, everybody. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca Follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.